Galatians, Law, Liberty, and Life in Jesus. This is part two. And I'm going to really try and get through this. There's only one correct starting point for your faith. That's what we're looking at this morning. That's the title. The text is Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. This morning I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Don't freak out. It's not that different. It's just something I'm enjoying and I'm, and I'm uh, working with a little bit. Galatians 1, 1 to 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age so we don't act like everybody else. That's why Jesus died. Relates to what I was talking about sitting right there. We're not like other people. We don't take our cue. Who rescued us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. As soon as he mentions our God and Father, he can't help himself. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I hope to show you that these five verses are not just like a, hey, how you doing greeting, but they're quite cleverly crafted. Paul is setting the stage for dealing with uh, the central issues that these false teachers, you remember last Sunday morning, I introduced them, Judaizers who came and said, that's all well and good that you love Jesus, but we have the old covenant particularly the sign of circumcision and dietary regulations, and you need to come under the old covenant in addition to trusting in Jesus because that gives you the whole package and you'll be better off. That's what Paul is confronting even as he writes his greeting. He's thinking about that. Here's four or five thoughts. One, the central issue of authority in religion. I get that in those first two verses. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, I'll talk about that in a minute, to the churches at Galatia. Paul starts at the only proper starting place, for anyone who's thinking about faith in Jesus Christ and what that means in the world today. The gospel in the marketplace of world religions. There are lots of religions. Most of the early Christians were converts from other religions. And so Paul starts naturally with this issue of authority in spiritual matters. Why should people embrace the gospel why should they listen to Paul and what he says about Jesus if they already have their own religion, sincerely holding their religion, practicing their religion faithfully? Why should they have to switch just because Paul comes and tells them about Jesus? It's a good question. Paul's main point in these first two verses is the gospel of Jesus Christ and his cross 
you, you, Paul says, I'm sorry, but you can't just, you can't just place this on the buffet of all the other faith options in the world. This is not just one more system, even a better system than the other ones. That's the reason for stressing. He says, I got this not from men or by man, but from Jesus Christ and God the Father. Notice how his Christology shines here. He, he talks about Jesus and he talks about Father God. It's his Trinitarian theology comes out here. Now, Paul's aware then and now, probably even more now, that statements like that, they read as being presumptuous in our inclusive age. Nervy little right wing. But he still labors the point that his message isn't just, isn't just one more theory about God or an opinion about God or some man-made system for searching God out. Paul, Paul is defending the absolutely unique truth claims of Christianity. Jesus never even professed to be like any other religious leader or prophet. He wasn't coming just pointing out some way to God. He was God with us. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus ends the search for God in a way no other religious leader or prophet or system possibly can. That's where you have to start. That's what you have to believe. There aren't options to this. One of the central points, this is one of the central points of what we have come to call the Great Commission. I mentioned this last week, but I want to just say it again. These words from Jesus in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. So the therefore relates to that, right? All authority has been given to me. Go therefore. He's saying therefore means this is the reason for going. Make disciples of all nations. All nations. Hindu nations. Muslim nations. Atheist nations. All nations. Jewish nations. They need to, they need to hear about me. Go therefore. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. And of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Remember, I'm with you to the end of the age. And that issue of why, why does Jesus begin with words about his authority? And I said last week that he does so because it's no small thing to go to people groups who already have their own religions, their own belief systems. Thank you very much. And to tell them, you're wrong. And you must change. You must come to Jesus. And it's amazing how many ev evangelical branches of missionary organizations won't say that anymore. This is the living conviction behind 
Paul's words of greeting in these first few verses, talking about his own apostolic calling, his own authority. Well, here, here's what Paul's doing in this introduction. He's trying to refute two distortions within our religious landscape for verifying and validating the truths of Christianity. I'm just going to, these, these labels that I'm giving, they aren't in the text. They're just my labels. First, there's what I would call the liberal view of Christianity. This view, and this is a bit oversimplified, it interprets the words of the apostles. You have them there in your New Testament. It interprets their words as, as uh, the contemplations of men on no higher level than the musings and opinions and interpretations of people even in this century. The apostles, like us, they were searchers trying to make sense of things they saw taking place in the world just as we have to, you know, come up with our own ideas about God and how to find God and seek God. That just doesn't fit with Paul's words. All you have to do is read it. He, he clearly asks these Christians to reject the words of false teachers precisely on the basis that he has his own authority. He was called of God. In another place in this letter, we'll get to it, Paul tells these churches that if anyone teaches another gospel than the one they received from him, imagine that that person, by the way, even if it happens to be an angel, let him be cursed. So that liberal view just does not fit. Secondly, there's, I'm calling this the ecclesiastical view, the church view. This is a, another dominant distortion of religious authority, and it bears on our age. The idea is that the church, the church is sort of the cradle for the scriptures. It's the view that the declarations and the traditions of the church, they can be added to, made equal to, sometimes even superior to the authority of the Bible. It's predominantly, predominantly true in Roman Catholicism today. But Paul just, he makes it so clear that his message wasn't bestowed upon him by some church organization, but by Jesus himself. Look at these texts. We'll go fast. Paul, an apostle, not from man or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it. I didn't get this studying a book, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. Couldn't be clearer. His his apostolic authority wasn't rooted in any human person, training, church, institutional system. His message was received from God the Father and God the Son and all of us, including the church and the Pope himself. They have to submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Point number two. So that's the source. I got this by revelation from God. God, from Jesus, Paul says. Now the essential nature of the gospel. 
some things are essential, some things aren't. What are the essential elements to a genuinely Christian gospel? Grace to you. There are these two monosyllabic words. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, A, grace is the source of salvation. So, so everything has its beginning in God's grace, not in our works. And this cuts to the heart, doesn't it, of these false Judaizers, these teachers who are coming, trying to supplement Paul's gospel. Any concept of achieving my status before God is eliminated right off the bat. Salvation finds its, its spring and its root in what God has freely offered through Christ, not what anyone can accomplish with any kind of religious observation and tradition. Grace, that's the source. Peace, that's the fruit of salvation. It's one of those beautiful words that's used a lot in the New Testament, but used in different ways, and you need to be careful how you interpret it. The peace Paul has in mind in this text is very specific. See, many things can bring peace of mind. You actually don't even need God to have peace of mind. There are drugs that can do that beautifully. But only the gospel can bring you peace with God. And that's what Paul is talking about here. This is what the gospel that Paul declared was all about. It brings, it brings peace with God where there was enmity, because of my sin and failure, where there was wrath, where there was judgment, where I had no access to a holy God. Paul talks about the same thing, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's what he's talking about. Through, how do you get it? Well, only one way. Only one way. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now the reason for Paul's anger with these false teachers, it comes a little more sharply into focus. Because Paul sees not just a little church argument, he sees a potential threat to the gospel. And he won't tolerate it. And we shouldn't tolerate it. Because only the true gospel can touch the core of my deepest need. Because that's true, any distortion in its content is fatal and it's unloving. In other words, these false teachers weren't just sort of bruising Paul's ego. They were cutting off the lost from God's grace and God's peace. Point number three. The third thing in this introduction, it's so complete. The historic event from which God's grace and peace flow. It's in that fourth verse who gave himself for our sins, there's the reason, to rescue us from this present evil age, there's the other reason. So one, two, according to the will of our God and Father. Notice something else. Gave himself. So Jesus does the giving here, but it's according to the will of our God and Father. So who gives the Son? And you see the Trinity here, don't you? 
It's one, in one case, it says Jesus offered up himself. In the other, he says it's the will of God the Father. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so both are involved. These are rich words. And if we understand them clearly, this fourth verse, they'll, they'll deliver us from a host of potential errors. A, Christ died for our sins. Who gave himself, it says, for our sins. There is no saving benefit in just acknowledging historically that there was a person named Jesus and that he died on a cross. There are lots of atheists who know Jesus existed and that he was crucified in Rome, in, in Jerusalem, by the Romans. They know that. There's no saving benefit in that. It's, it's the meaning of Christ's death that is so crucial. It's knowing why he died that has to be an element of faith and trust. It wasn't just another execution. It wasn't an ordinary death in that sense. He didn't die just as some other religious martyr. Went a little too far, said some things a little too radical. People weren't ready to hear him. Poor Jesus. It wasn't just an example of self-sacrifice. None of this comes close to the teaching of the New Testament. Why Jesus died. And let me just say one more thing. It's why you have, it's why your New Testament has four Gospels where you have the life of Jesus, particularly the last few days of Jesus' life. The life of Jesus outlined in the Gospels, and, and there are statements about why he died. I'm not denying that. But by and large, you need the epistles. You need the rest of the New Testament to explain the theology behind the death of Jesus. You get that not so much in the Gospels, as in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians. He, that, that's where you get the meaning of Christ's death. And that's why you have a whole New Testament. And you need to read it all. Just the Gospels will leave you with a, a beautiful picture of Jesus' life, his teaching, his miracles. I know there are statements. Jesus said, I came to give my life a ransom for many. It's there. I'm not denying it. But I'm saying it's vastly expanded in, in the epistles in the New Testament. So don't just read the Gospels. Get the theology of the death of Jesus, the significance of it. He gave himself for our sins, it says. So his death is a redemptive death. He bore our sins. And there are just so many, so many prominent authors being read by evangelicals that do not believe Jesus bore our sins and bore God's wrath against my sin on the cross. And it's tragic that Christians are eating this stuff up. His was a rescuing death. It was somehow a forgiving death. It accomplished something beyond example and heroism. It was the only death in the history of the world through which God pardons Don Horbin's sin. But there's something else in this fourth verse. B, Christ died to rescue us from this present evil age. Maybe I can word it like this. The greatest tragedy in the world is the rejection of forgiveness 
through the cross. The greatest tragedy in the church is to limit the cross to merely providing forgiveness. Do you see the difference? It's a very deficient view of the cross that only speaks of it as a payment for sin. Truly, I just said, it is that. We should be eternally glad for that. But the cross is not just payment for sins I have committed. Paul saw the tremendous power of the work in Jesus on the cross to rescue. Look at that verb, rescue us, us, not from hell. Eventually, that's, of course, true, but from this present evil age. Jesus died on the cross to affect the way you use Instagram. Jesus died on the cross to affect what you watch on Netflix. Jesus died on the cross to deliver us from this present evil age. So the cross becomes this gateway from one world into another, even while we're here alive on this earth. Our world, Paul describes it as a world of sin, darkness, vocabulary. He says it's a present evil age or a domain, he calls it. Look at Colossians 1.13. Same verb. One of Paul's favorites. He has rescued us. This is Christians from the domain of darkness. That's where we live. That's where we live now. It's a domain of darkness. Does that register? A domain of darkness. What did the cross do? Well, it, look at this. Here's another verb. Transferred us. This is now. This is not when I die or when Jesus comes. Right now transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. This, this, this domain of darkness. It's describing the same thing as this present evil age. Same, same thing. In the apostle John's words, he'll say this whole world system lies under the sway of the evil one. So this is not... Either this registers or it doesn't. And I'm afraid, I look at my own heart so often, I'm afraid it doesn't register. I agree with it. I don't mean that. I know it, but it doesn't register. This is not an innocent age. This is not a neutral age. It's entertainment isn't neutral. It's sexual values aren't neutral. It's materialism isn't neutral. Paul says these things are all part of, they're part of a domain, he says. And it's a dark one. Then comes the cross. This is how Paul, this is Paul in his introduction. This is Paul in the first four verses. Then comes the cross, God's plan, not just to forgive, but to transfer people out of one realm and to put them right now into another realm entirely. A new creation. It's not just symbolic. Christians must. They must. If they're going to sing about the old rugged cross at all, they must manifest the life of the age to come right in the middle of this present evil age. That's the power of the cross. 
Paul doesn't see this as some added level of super spirituality. Like, okay, you want to be a missionary or something. Paul doesn't mean that at all. This is, this is the very core of what it means to survey the wondrous cross, to come to the cross at all. So I really can't merely be saved. Transformation is part of the deal. If there's no transformation, then there's no salvation. Transformation, true enough, comes gradually, we grow, but there is no salvation without that struggle against this domain of darkness. I'm grieved so often when I look at my own heart. I'm grieved when I see the, the, the broad, the broad-based blindness to this core issue of gospel truth. I've thought a lot. I've thought a lot about these words from Jeremiah the prophet. You want a great text, write this one down and put it up on your, get a rivet gun and put it on your stainless steel fridge so it doesn't come off. Jeremiah 7, 9 and 10. Look at these words. Do you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, spend a fortune on your own recreation, and follow other gods? that you have not known, then, then, do you come and stand before me in this house that bears my name and sing, I stand in awe of you? Do you stand before me in this house that bears my name and say, we're rescued, we're saved, so we can continue doing all these detestable acts? That's a text. And this is, this is God's polite way of saying, are you out of your mind? Do you really think this will work? Do you think I don't know? How ironic. These people, these, these descendants of Abraham. Remember Jesus said, I can from stones, I can raise up <laughs> descendants of Abraham. Don't count on that. They were actually using the fact that they had been delivered at one point by God delivered by God's grace, and they were using that to justify continuing in that domain of darkness, not realizing that transferred. You got to move out. See, we're almost finished now. See, we, did, we, had, we made it. Christ died, Paul says, according to the will of of God the Father. This, this too is, I think, a most important point. I've read all the clever little books, you know, about the traditional view of cosmic child abuse, God beating up on his son. The people just, they just don't understand. They don't understand. Christ died according to the will of God our Father, Jesus, Jesus doesn't step in and protect us from a mean, vengeful God. God the Father is the author of salvation. It was his idea. We're not hiding from God behind the blood of Jesus. God loved the world in this way. Gave his one and only son. Our text 
says the exact opposite. Paul says Jesus gave himself up. See the Trinity. They're united in the, it's a united front of redemption. God the Father was not detached. In Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. There you are. All of that, Paul says, just in his intro. <laughs> the death of Christ wasn't a fluke. It wasn't an accident of history. It wasn't a religion that went bad or a teaching that never quite got off the ground. It was all in the heart of God from the beginning. It was the love of Christ himself as well. That's what set Paul's heart ablaze. This is what made the gospel of Jesus so different, so distinct, so superior from anything else on the religious shelf. Let's not mar the beauty and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ with a shabby, self-centered lifestyle. Let's all of us, let's all of us labor to defend the truth of the gospel. Rejoice in forgiveness. Take that message to the world. Everyone from every religious background needs forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And while we take it, let's make sure our lives exemplify lives that are transferred out of this domain of darkness so that people will have a reason to listen to what we say. And everyone said, thank you, Jesus, for your precious word. The glory of the gospel. For some of us, we've lived almost our whole lives in it. And I know that for me, it, it still just glows. It just sparkles and shines with greatness. Bless us as we venture into four-week social media blessing project. Protect us from the evil one in our own hearts. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.